at the beginning of the year, we started with a series called Why Church? What we were looking to do was figure out, well, why do we come here every Saturday night? And we looked at Hebrews 10, 24, that said, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Ultimately, we do church to help us see Jesus. It's a way for us to encounter Jesus, which was our second sermon series this year. What does encountering Jesus look like? What happens when someone encounters Jesus? We looked at Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. We looked at the woman who anointed Jesus with the expensive perfume. And we even looked at the crowds that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. And in every story, it was the beginning of a life transformation after their encounter with Jesus. Their lives were radically different after they met Jesus. Their lives shifted into making Jesus the focus of their lives and making Jesus the subject, which was our third series this year. And as we looked at how do we make Jesus the subject of our lives, how do we recognize that our life is transformed? Because when we keep Jesus as the focus and we follow his example, we become more like him. We studied his character traits so that we could model them in our own lives. And each one of those was designed to grow our faith, to build our faith, to make our faith stronger, so that in the end our faith glorifies God and becomes a witness beyond these walls. Because sometimes the world's going to beat us down, and trials are going to overwhelm us. And it's through our faith that we'll get through them. Over the next several weeks, what we're going to be looking at is the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Sometimes people refer to it as the hall of faith. And we're going to look at what living by faith looks like. Because becoming a follower of Christ is not just a one-time transaction. It's not just saying, hey, Lord, yeah, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And then you move on with life as usual knowing that, hey, my name's in the book of life, I'm good. We can't assume that God's going to do the rest. Paul tells the people in Philippi that they need to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. See, when we encounter Jesus, we can't help but fall in love with him. When we understand the sacrifice, what he did for us, the dying on the cross, the torture that he went through, it should develop in us a reverent fear that's just steeped in awe of what he did. And because of that reverence for him, because of that overwhelming gratitude, we can't help but want to 
answer the call. And each of us has been called. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ. And when followers of Christ experience good, joyful moments, when we experience the trials, the tragedies, and the sufferings of life, the world is watching. They want to see how we're going to respond. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we expressing that hope that we say we have in Christ? Are we expressing it through the way we live? Because it's not just enough to come to church. It's not just enough to encounter Jesus. It's not just enough to make Jesus the subject of our lives. If we want to live a life that's worthy of our calling, if we want to experience all that God has for us, if we want to experience that life of abundance that the Word promises and be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, we have to learn to live by faith. Our entire Christian life is designed to be lived by faith. Habakkuk 2.4 says, Look at the proud one. His soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith in the true God. We were saved by faith. We walk by faith. We rejoice by faith. We serve by faith. We even love by faith. We make sacrifices by faith. We pray by our faith. We worship by our faith we obey by our faith and we endure by our faith this book is filled with the examples of people living by faith in both the good times and the bad times the 11th chapter of Hebrews covers many of those lives and so we're going to be spending the next several weeks studying them to grasp what it means to live by faith. Some of these lives that we're going to look at, and most of these lives, were just ordinary men and women like me and you. They were under real pressures. They faced great, tremendous odds. And often had the whole world against them. Yet, they lived by faith. And they won God's approval. Open your Bibles to 11, uh, 11th chapter of Hebrews, starting at verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Now, before we start to study faith in, in the lives in this chapter, we have to first understand what faith is and what faith isn't. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith works outside of our emotions because our feelings can actually hinder our faith when we act based on how we feel, which changes moment to moment, 
we just kind of push God right out of the picture. Faith is not desire. It's not wanting something so badly that you just know that you'll receive it. It's not a name it and claim it ideology. Mark 11, verse 22 says this, Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen, and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Some people want to take this verse and want to understand it to mean that God will give us whatever we want if our faith is big enough. Tell that to the family whose mom just died of cancer. They were praying and praying and praying. Are you going to tell them their faith wasn't big enough? No. Because that's not how God works. That's not about our desires. That's not faith. Faith is not bargaining with God. There's a story of a, a young mom. She was having a stressful day. She got a call from work, uh, a call at work from the kids' school. Both your kids have fevers. You need to come pick them up. So she rushed to get her kids, rushed them to the doctor. Then she had to go pick up her youngest from daycare. And then she had to go to the pharmacy to get medicine. And then she all right, I'll go to Walmart to pick up dinner. And then it starts to rain. So she's driving through the parking lot, and everyone had the same idea. Let's go to Walmart and pick up dinner. So she starts praying, Lord, Lord, you know the day I've had. Can you just open a parking spot near the front so I don't have to drag all these kids through the rain? If you can just open a parking spot, I'll make sure to get to church on Sunday. And then a parking spot opens, she goes to drive. She goes, oh, never mind what just opened up. <laughs> you can't bargain with God. That's not faith. It's not God. If you do this, then I'll do that. That's not faith. The dictionary defines faith as a belief not based on proof. But we just read in verse 1... That faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It says that faith is the evidence of things we cannot see. So if our faith is the evidence, and it's also the proof, hmm, how does that work? How can faith be proof of itself if it can't be seen? Let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 says... By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. The writer of Hebrews is taking us back to the beginning of the universe because the things that we see around us are created by the Creator. Our Creator can't be seen. Now bear with me a minute, it's going to get a little, it gets a little tricky here. Romans 1, starting in verse 19, 
says they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. The writer of Hebrews is saying, the things we can't see, the attributes of God, his power, his greatness, his beauty, and his majesty are right there around us in the things he created. The great theologian John Calvin described the world as a theater of God's divine goodness and glory. Wow. Everything around us is a theater for God's glory. Wow, what a beautiful image. But not everyone sees God in creation. When I see a giraffe, I'm amazed at God's creativity. When I look at a penguin or an ostrich, I see God's sense of humor. But for someone else, a giraffe might just be an animal with four legs and a long neck. While a penguin or an ostrich are just funny-looking birds evolved from prehistoric creatures. Back in the 90s, there was a, a fad, if you will, with special pictures called stereograms. They were called Magic Eye. And in here are just images that on the surface are just colors. Colors and patterns. And yet, when you stared at them long enough, a picture would jump off the page. A 3D image would just kind of pop off. But some people can stare at those images and see nothing but the colors and the patterns. But if you're one of those people that sees the deeper image pop up off the page, and it comes right into focus... No one can convince you that the image isn't there. When you look and you say, oh, yes, I see the rabbit. There it is. And if someone else says, there's no rabbit there, you say, yeah, there is. I saw it. Right? So when we look out there and we see God's creativity, when we see the attributes of God out there, that is proof to us of our faith. That's the evidence. Some people will look at the creation out there and they're only going to see the colors and the patterns. But for us, but for the Christ followers, we see the fingerprints of God. His very attributes come into focus. It's the evidence for us of things not seen. It's the evidence of our faith. Psalm 19 verse 1 it says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. It means that our faith is this spiritual seeing of God's fingerprints. It's evidence of his work and his order and his control over everything. Our faith is seeing from God's point of view. Faith is seeing things from his perspective. And this is our confidence. This is our assurance. This is our hope. 
the evidence of God all around us shows us that he's faithful. It shows us that his promises are real. Our faith is an act of just grabbing hold of that goodness of God and grabbing hold of his promises. That's what our faith is. Why does our faith matter? What difference does it make? Because our faith becomes the framework for how we live our lives. It becomes the lens through which we see the whole world. Nikita Khrushchev was the atheist communist leader in Russia many years ago. And he was the leader when Yuri Gagarin, the first man in space, went up into space. And Mr. Khrushchev said this of that visit in space. He said, Yuri, who flew up to space, didn't see God anywhere. Nowhere. He looked everywhere and he didn't see God. Now contrast that with John Glenn, the first American in space. This was his quote. To look out at this kind of creation out here and not believe in God is to me impossible. It just strengthens my faith. I wish there were words to describe what it's like. John Glenn was seeing the fingerprints of God. His faith was opening his eyes to see the world and the universe from God's perspective. And in his words, it strengthened his faith. In the weeks ahead, as we study these stories of these hall of faith, what we're going to discover is that with our faith, with it growing and, and become a part of our daily lives, we're going to see why it matters so much. And there are six things that are going to just rise up out of these stories. First one, when we live by faith, our problems become smaller. Psalm 138, 7 says, though I am surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand, and the power of your right hand saves me. You know the saying, don't complain to God about how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big your God is. Our problems don't disappear by any means. But they are put back into a proper perspective. God's perspective. And the second thing that we're going to see is that when we live by faith, we can move mountains. Our faith can open the door for God to do miracles. Matthew 17, 20 says, You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. We just sing a song singing those very words, but do we really believe it? Do we really believe that nothing is impossible for God? Third thing, when we live by faith, God is moved to act on our behalf. This doesn't mean that God is our servant granting our requests like a genie in a bottle. 
but are we believing his word and expecting to see his hand at work in our lives in all things? In Matthew 15, verse 28, a Gentile woman comes to Jesus asking for healing for her daughter. And in this conversation, Jesus says to her, Dear woman, your faith is great, your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. In Matthew chapter 9, two men, blind men, come to Jesus. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith it will happen. Then their eyes were opened and they could see. And then our, our friend Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. See, in each of these ex experiences, people came expecting they came seeking and believing in the power of God. They weren't focused on feeling sorry for themselves. They weren't stuck in their problems having a pity party. See, God isn't moved by our complaining. He's only moved by our faith in him. The fourth thing that we'll see, when we live by faith, the promises of God are opened up for us. Romans 4, starting in verse 13 says clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith if God's promise is only for those who obey the law then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless for the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. The fifth thing that we're going to see as we study faith, when we live by faith, our God-given dreams are turned into reality. Notice God-given dreams. Not just any old whim that we can come up with, but God-given dreams are turned into reality. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. We limit God's work in our life by our unbelief and our lack of faith. When Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, the people refuse to accept him. They refuse to believe who he is. And look what happens in Matthew 13, starting in verse 57. It says they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. I, I want to be clear about this point because it's, 
we have no control over God's power. With our belief, we don't somehow unlock God to do miraculous things. That's not what this is saying. God is not limited by man in, in any way. He can do anything he wants, anytime, any place he wants, because it's his universe. But scripture is clear. God does not exist for our pleasure. God does not exist for our entertainment. We exist for God. God is in the miracle business, but he's not in the entertainment business. Matthew 12, 38 shows us that. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the age, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Unbelief and lack of faith just shifts our attention away from the truth, and it turns to trivial and insignificant stuff. Jesus performed the miracles to those who believed, to those who were seeking, and to those who wanted, Lord, increase my faith. And that's why he did miracles. And the sixth thing that we're going to see that when we live by faith, we have the power to hold on in tough times. We have perseverance. Faith produces perseverance in us. Romans 5, starting in verse 2. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Our faith is never going to take away our problems. And it doesn't stop the pain. But it does calm us in the storm. As we study these stories of faith, we're going to begin to see that in our trials, in our darkest hours, that's when God does some of his greatest work. What we see as our breaking point, God sees as a turning point. And in the times where there's nothing that we can humanly do to fix our situation, there's nothing that we can humanly do to ease our pain, and we throw our hands up in the air, and we say, I don't understand. I give up. It's in those moments that we realize our complete dependence on God, and we rely on Him to provide the strength we need. That's when we see our faith grow. 1 Peter 5.10 says, In his kindness God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. 
many of you know the story about my dad and his health issues the last two months now. And he's back in the hospital again. He was rushed to the emergency room on Friday. Um, and he has now pulmonary embolism and blood clots in both legs. Now, his health, you know, it started way back with shingles in his eye. And it has been, you know, surgery for detached retina and just one thing after another. And, and I talked to him yesterday. I said, Dad, you know that God is still walking with you, right? I said, I know it seems crazy, but he's still there. And he said, I know. He said, because he's opened my eyes. Wow. That's what it is. That's what this is all about. That's what our faith does. It opens our eyes to see him in control. It opens our eyes to say, God, I can't do it. I need you. And that's when he says, yeah, I've been here the whole time. I've just been waiting for you to say that you need me. That's what faith is. You know, the ironic thing is that my dad, when these books first came out, he was one of those people that looked at the pictures and he said, I can't see anything. I don't know. There's nothing there. I can't see it. And yesterday when I talked to him, he said, God's opening my eyes. What an amazing God we serve. That he takes us to places to show us who he is. To show us that he's love and he's grace and mercy. Wow. Amen to that. Come on. <laughs> what? Uh, just wrap yourself up in that for a moment. Because that's just incredible. Church, let's learn over these next several weeks. Let's learn to stretch our faith. Let's ask God to open our eyes. So that we learn to see the world from his perspective. So that we can experience his work in amazing ways. Let's see what amazing things, what miracles that he's going to do for this body of believers as we stretch our faith and we say, Lord, we believe in you for these things. We're going to witness his glory on a grand scale. I'll leave you with this verse from Ephesians. Chapter 1, starting in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, in his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Holy Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for giving us our faith, Father, for pursuing us, for just reaching down to us, Father, and saying, I'm here. Do you see me? Let me open your eyes. 
so you can see me around you. Let me open your eyes so you can see my glory. Father, as we leave this place, our prayer is that you open our eyes, that we can grow our faith, Father, that we grow stronger, we build our faith around your Son, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I I pray for every person in this room as they leave this place. Protect them, bless them, Father. Show them your will. Show them who you are in their lives, Father. In Jesus' precious name.